well, you guys did a great job, so well done. Uh, fantastic. It'd be great to keep that part of God's Word open, uh, John chapter 6 there. And uh, I'm going to pray for us that God would help us this morning to understand what we have just read. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as the author of this text, you are present this morning. Thank you, Father, that by the Holy Spirit, you have promised that you will reveal your truth to us. So, Father, do that this morning. Challenge us and change us. Make us more like Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, if someone was to say, uh, who are you, what would you say? You know, you often have those, uh, those gatherings where, you know, just introduce yourself, right? What are the things that make the cut? Who are you? How would you say who you are? And it's worth thinking about that. I, I had an interesting um, who are you kind of moment recently. I, I've got a, a role that I um, will be picking up soon externally to the church. And one of the things that they asked me to do was to prepare my resume. Can you send through your resume? And I went, good gracious, I, um, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't looked at a resume for I don't know how long. I actually had to go back and construct a history of my life <laughs> to try and work out what years some things happened because I literally had no idea. So uh, what makes it onto your resume? There's a, a saying I've heard, and I think it's a good one, says, give me your wallet and your watch and I will tell you who you are. Have you heard that before? Give me your wallet and your watch and I will tell you who you are. In other words, where do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? That will reveal your priorities and what is most important in your life. So if we look at a watch, and I was going to say a wallet, but who carries a wallet these days? It's all on your phone or something. But if we look at your bank balance and we think about that, what story would I get if I looked at your resume, your watch or your calendar, and your bank balance? Don't worry, I'm not going to look at your bank balance. It's going to be okay, church. You'll be all right. But imagine someone was looking. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being what we're trying to be at the moment? Jesus' apprentices. If we look strictly at your calendar, at your resume, at your bank balance, your statements, would there be enough evidence there for someone to say, definitely a Christian? It's worth thinking about, isn't it? We're talking about being apprentices to Jesus. That's our theme for 2020. Growing and maturing apprentices. So when we say we're apprentices to Jesus, what does that mean? Well, to, be, to have an apprenticeship, you need to have a master or a teacher. You need to do some book work. You definitely need to do some prac work. And there's some homework where you kind of integrate it all together. To be an apprentice to Jesus, we've been learning over the course of this series, we have a master. Who's the master? The master is always the answer, isn't it, church, if you're in doubt? The answer is Jesus. So who's our master? Jesus. When we're talking about book work, what book might we be working in? You guys are doing great. It's in the Bible. Um, when we talk about prac work, we can't be people who merely hear the word. We've got to put it into practice. So at New Life, we talk about giving the message of new life and being those who live new life for Jesus. So we've got to be doing stuff with what we're learning. That, that's part of having an apprenticeship. And then the homework is where we integrate the stuff we're learning uh, in the book and the stuff that we're learning on the job. And I've said that probably prayer covers that, our homework. Well, that's what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. What makes it so tough? I mean, Jesus is calling all of us to be his apprentices. What makes being an apprentice to Jesus tough? Well, one of the things that makes it tough is who will be in charge. Now, 
Are, are there any Formula One fans here? I see three hands. Great, and one was from a mum for a son, so well done. Good, good work. I'm gl- and, and Dad sort of reluctantly saying, yeah, I'm also into it too. That's great. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not, not going to guess that it's very difficult for you guys. How many seats are in a Formula One car? Okay, you guys are doing great. Fantastically. All right. So here's the question. When it comes to being in control of a Formula One car, there's only one seat, right? One of the things that makes it tough to be an apprentice to Jesus is we have to wrestle with the question, who will be master of our life? Who will be in charge? Who will be in the driving seat? Come with me back to Matthew chapter 6, the reading that Daniel brought for us. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to hear Jesus at his pithy best. Pithy best. Jesus just crunches ideas down. He has this incredible way of presenting things memorably. We're in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. There's only one seat. It happens to be the throne of our heart, and either us serving money is there, or Jesus is there. There isn't a way for him to shimmy in next to money and for it to work out well. That's called a car accident. And we see lots of people uh, doing that with their lives as they try and shimmy Jesus in. More likely, though, we've just got a bag of money sitting in the seat. That's the default with the world. The other thing that makes it hard is to think about who do we seek first? Who do we seek first? When you've got a day stretched out ahead of you, what do you do first? Now, some of you will say, make the lunches for the kids. And that's fine. Yes, you do need to do that until they get old enough and then you say, I'm not making them anymore. You guys do it. Great moment. But, but what, do you, what do you seek first? What's your first priority when you have your time at your disposal? What's your first priority? Jesus speaks about priorities in the little section that follows on here. He talks about the birds of the air, hence the picture, and the flowers of the field. And he says, if you were to look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, you would see God provides for the birds. God clothes the flowers of the field. And so what are we supposed to learn? Well, have a look with me at verses 31 to uh, 34. So Jesus says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what do we learn here? He says to seek the kingdom first, to seek the kingdom of God first, to not worry because we should be encouraged that God's got you. It's not that our world won't throw worrying things to us, but we are to more our runaway train, (laughs) to mix the metaphors, we're supposed to moor it to the fact that God's got us. If we look outside, if we look at the birds, if we see the, we're supposed to go, God is faithful. Therefore, when I seek him first, I can know that he will provide. Incidentally, it's interesting to see what our world puts first, isn't it? Uh, Fashion and food. Go, Go to the shops and have a look at the magazines there, right? If I'm looking for some distraction, it'll be fashion and food, right? Extraordinary. 
maybe thrown a little bit of celebrity and maybe some cars, and we've pretty much covered everything, I think. Right, when we're looking to be distracted. And, and if you took fashion and food off TV, what would you be left with? Some good TV. <laughs> the Rugby World Cup. Uh, very good. I, I did speak to some very happy South Africans this morning, so uh, that's, uh, that's good. But here's the thing. God says instead of filling our lives with the worthless, with the passing, we should be anchored in seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, ultimately, the question becomes, where are we seeking our satisfaction? What satisfaction are we seeking? For the people in the ancient world, their staple food, in Palestine anyway, was bread. It was bread. That was the staple food. You know, if you talk about the staple food in the, in the past anyway, staple food of somewhere like Vietnam would be what? be rice, right? Same within China. Staple food. And because bread was the staple food, you had to work hard to make it. It, it had to be harvested. It had to be ground. It had to be baked. It wasn't available on the shelf down at Woolies. It was a labor every single day. And what's happened in the situation just before the passage that was read for us in John chapter 6 is Jesus has gone out in the wilderness and he's teaching all these wonderful things and then everyone gets hungry. And they go, Jesus, can you look after us? And he provides bread for 5,000 people. And it says there was so much bread provided that they collected up 12 basketfuls of leftovers at the end. Now, I just want you to see how extravagant the miracle is. Everybody eats until they're full and then there's stuff left over. I don't even know what the leftovers are for other than to say God abundantly provides for them. Yeah? Now, off the back of that, Jesus goes away from the crowd. The next day they find him and man, they are really keen. Jesus, give us some more food. Have a listen to what they say a little bit before the reading that we had. So we're going to John, John chapter 6 and we're looking at verses 26 and following. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, why was there a huge crowd the next day for Jesus? Well, they wanted some more munching. You see, if you can take... If you can take all the labor and all the work of me providing for my family away, well, bring it on. Because I'm happy to go to that shop every single day. Have you got more bread, Jesus? We're in. And, and while you're at it, Jesus, if we could see some more signs, right? Do you remember Moses? Moses led the people in the wilderness and God provided bread from heaven. Does anyone remember what it's called? Does anyone know what manna means? It means what is it? How cool is that as a piece of information? Manna means what is it? What is it? Yep, that's right. Turn that into bread. It's going to be all good. Okay, so there's, there's manna in the desert providing for God's people. Moses was providing. Now, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's provided bread from heaven for the people. They're going, we want this Moses bloke. Jesus is like, this Moses bloke is pretty good. Bring on the bread. Went for 40 years for them in the wilderness. I'm ready. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, do you know what, guys? I'm actually not here to cut down your manual labor. I'm not here to fill up your innards. I'm actually here to offer you much, much more. I have come, he says, that you might have life 
and have it to the full, to have food that endures to eternal life, not full of worms, not decaying, but eternal life. That's what I've come to offer you. And he goes on from this, and we're going to come to a little bit of teaching that's actually very hard. It starts off pretty easily. It starts off pretty easily. In John 6, 47, he says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Well, that's good, isn't it? Right? For God so loved the world that everyone who... This is an interactive part, church, okay? For God so loved the world that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's standard Jesus teaching, right? Everyone who believes has eternal life. But Jesus thinks that no one is listening to him. And then they go, yeah, 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 we'll believe, just give us a loaf of bread. And so he says some radical things. He actually gets to the point where he says this in John 6, 54, a little bit later, he says this, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. What? What on earth are you talking about, Jesus? You cannot want us to step forward and start chewing into your carpenterly arm. Like, it's big and more meaty than mine, I'm sure, because he was swinging a hammer, right? But, but Jesus, you don't want us to really eat you, do you? So why does he say it? What on earth can he mean when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Well, there's actually a verse in between that links these ideas together. In John chapter 6, verse 48, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Who eats, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How will Jesus give his, his flesh for the life of the world? There's a big prop behind me to help you with the answer to this. How would Jesus give his flesh for the world? Look at you guys, fantastic. Dying on the cross. Jesus says, I came down from heaven. I'm going to give my flesh for you. My blood will be spelt. My flesh will be offered in a sacrifice for you. So what do I want you to do? Well, I think what he's saying is belief equals drinking, eating, equals trusting, equals diving into Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you to eat blood, but to have an all-in belief in his death and that this will give eternal life. He says, I want you to be so into me that it's like you're consuming me, that you want me and nothing else, that you seek your satisfaction in me. I'm inviting you to draw me into your life. Believe in me, he says, and you will have eternal life. Well, this wonderful bit of teaching worked out brilliantly for Jesus. Have a look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Probably some people sitting here would think the same thing, is that right? Jesus, if you keep going on about blood and flesh, first of all, we're going to think we're in some bizarre movie. And secondly, we're going to be totally freaked out. And that's, that's the reaction. Isn't this pleasing to know? They weren't weird in the first century. They heard Jesus say this and say, we're out of here. We, we can't be with you anymore, Jesus. They decided at that point that it was tough. In verse 66, we read, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
confusing teaching instead of stomach-filling bread, I'm going to go home and make some bread. Leave the confusing guy out in the wilderness. Well, that was 2,000 years ago when things got hard, when it was harder to follow Jesus, when it wasn't just all bread laid out on a plate. They left him. How is it hard to follow Jesus today? What makes it hard for us? Well, let me suggest some things that might make it hard. I think Jesus invites us into relationship with him. But for us as a society today, I won't speak for you personally, but as a society, we are very superficial. We say, like me, but don't know me. Like me. If you can click a like, a little up thumb, of our social media has made us addicted to superficiality. Hundreds of friends, but no one knows me. Yeah? How about our time? Well, our time is more precious than ever, isn't it? We're packed full of stuff. Jesus, it's full on out there. And so when we get home, after our commute an hour either way, anyone? Uh, after after our, our work hours, after we've run the kids around for sport, we just go, leave me alone. <laughs> just leave me alone. Don't expect any more from me, God. I'm done for the week. Time. How about responsibility? You know, many of us have responsible jobs or we're responsible in our families. We have lots of responsibilities. And so when we get home from doing all our responsibilities, we tune out and we turn on. We turn off our work world, we turn on our entertainment and we just go, I'm done for the day. I don't need any more responsibility. Hello, Netflix, hello, whatever your thing of choice is, just, just entertain me, my brain is off. So don't ask too much of me, God. Don't you know I spent all the best of me in another, another part of my life? Or what about energy? You know, when it comes to following Jesus, Jesus is inviting us to be his apprentices. But so many people want to just plug into a supernatural drip and go, please feed me. Right? I have no energy for, for seeking after. Did you say, come follow you, Jesus? Are you moving? Don't move. Look, I'm in my armchair. It's pretty comfortable here. Don't move. Can I follow you by just watching where you're going? I think for a whole bunch of us, we go, man, I'm done after my week. I'm doing well to sit here. Don't expect too much of me, Jesus. Our energy is low. And what about models? Who do we follow who's following Jesus? Where do we go, you are doing a great job of it. I want to be like you. Well, lest anyone think that, I think the whole bunch of us just go, not me. If you're looking for models of the Christian faith, everybody else take a step forward. We, we don't want to be models. I'm no model for anyone, so we don't have any models for anyone. See, when it comes to trying to live as apprentices to Jesus, I actually think that we're fighting against the stream. And so I've got superficiality, time, responsibility, energy, models. I know I'm missing an A, right? But bear with me. We're fighting against the stream. The world of our, of it, it, we, our culture, it's flowing against us. It's hard work just to stand still, let alone to follow Jesus in the environment that we're in. I mean, Jesus, isn't it all a bit unreasonable? <laughs> Come be my apprentice. Sure, Jesus. Give me an extra life and I'll do it. So what did Jesus really expect anyway? 
I mean, what did he tell his first followers? Well, let's have a look. In Mark chapter 1, we read this wonderful story. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. They left the nets and followed him. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, I will model what it means. Come walk in my footsteps. But it doesn't just say, I'm looking for some people to hold on to my coattails. He says, I'm giving you responsibility as well. To follow Jesus is to assume responsibility. Then we saw this beautiful one last week in John. Turning around. Remember, John the Baptist had been, his disciples had been following him. And then they see Jesus. And they go and follow Jesus and turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. Well, Jesus will be a model. He wants their time. Come and see where I'm staying. It'll require all your energy. You're going to hang out with me today. See, Jesus is inviting us to relationship, to know him to walk with him, to follow him. What else do we see? Well, lest we think that following Jesus is an easy thing where all the bread gets provided for free, here's what Jesus says. Here's what I've got for you. He says in Luke chapter 9, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus says, sure, come follow me. But while you're at it, why don't you pick up a cross and come follow me? Well, that's a bit socially awkward, isn't it, Jesus? I mean, I couldn't get my cross in my car. I've got a bit of a bung shoulder, Jesus. If you can let that cross thing go, I'll be okay following you. It'll be all right. Have you got a don't-have-to-deny-yourself version of following you, Jesus? Because I'd like that, please. That's not his invitation. To be his apprentice is to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus says, not only that he'll give us a burden, but he'll give us a helper. Have a look at this next bit from John. In John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and he'll be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, Jesus doesn't just say, come follow me, pick up an ugly cross and have it hard. He says, no, 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 I'm going to come and live in the hearts of everyone who follows me. My Holy Spirit will take up residence in your heart. I will comfort you. I'll be an advocate for you. I will empower you to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I will begin to change you to be more and more like me. That's what he's offering us. Not only a burden, but a blessing. The Holy Spirit will come and dwell in the hearts of all who follow him, providing the energy to say yes to God, destroying the superficiality because he says, I'm going to dwell in your hearts. Well, what did the apprentices do? Well, they got more and more responsibility. You remember Jesus in Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, Jesus, I can fit in a little bit of disciple making, but not a lot. And look, I know that I'm with you at least for an hour and a half on a Sunday. That's if the preacher goes long, right? 
and if the kids haven't eaten all the biscuits at morning tea. I can hang around for an hour and a half. You've got me for an hour and a half. It's pretty good, isn't it, Jesus? Well, he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. But I don't just want you for an hour and a half. I want you to be a disciple maker. And I want you to be encouraged as you do that, that I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Until the end of the age. So when does our responsibility end, church? When do we stop having to make apprentices to Jesus? When he comes in the clouds in glory and relieves us of our duty. Brothers and sisters, we are called to spend our time in service of our Lord and to take awesome responsibility for making his name known. Well, look how they did it. They continued to meet together, it says in Acts chapter 2, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know who I can't be superficial with? Someone who I see every day. You know who I can't be superficial with? People who eat in my home. Brothers and sisters, we need to lift our vision for what it means to be apprentices. It's apprentices in community. Superficiality be gone. Time? Well, they met every day. I'd love to run a service every day, but I don't think you'd be here. So, you know, let's try and meet on Wednesdays or Thursdays or Tuesdays or whatever day life groups meet. Let's, let's meet at least one other time through the week. How about models? Well, they were meeting each other daily. Do you reckon that they had examples of people who are following Jesus? Yes. And they saw them on the good day and the bad day, not only on Sunday when they got their good clothes on. Saw them every day. And they took the responsibility of meeting together in their homes. So I want to ask you this morning, church, does the kingdom shape anything? If you're an apprentice, does the kingdom of God shape anything in your lives? And I pray it does. I want us to think through, as Jesus' apprentices, are we serving God or money? Do you know it's all God's money? He has a wonderful offer for you. He says, as my stewards, I can return 90% to you. You're not smiling, church. Isn't that extraordinary? He says, I, I can... You got it. Okay, are we serving God or money? And, and my question would be, when you serve God, to serve him with all your talents. And I said there, does your resume record anything about your talents? Of course it does. All the skills and gifts that you have are on your resume if you put them in there, right? My question is, are any of those serving God? Have you found an avenue to release the things that he's blessed you with for his service? Secondly, I want to ask you, are you working for bread or dough? Yeah? Are, are, are you longing for the bread of life that came down from heaven? <laughs> or, or are you just working for dough? And... What do my statements state about my faith? Is there anything in the way I deal with my finances that honours the one who owns my finances? Am I working for bread or dough? Thirdly, as apprentices to Jesus, are we building God's kingdom or my kingdom? And how would I know? How would I know? I, I, what does my watch reveal? What does my calendar reveal of my priorities for the kingdom? Am I building God's kingdom on my own? So I was thinking about apprentices this week. I was thinking, you could do an apprenticeship in um, hairdressing. Has anyone done that? Nelson, fantastic. Go and come talk to Nelson. He always looks schmick, as you do today, Nelson. So here's the thing. As apprentices, we could have a perm or a cut. And what I want to ask you today, church, what are the things that you want to permanently set in place 
because of your kingdom priority. Have a perm for Jesus, right? What am I, what am I? What are you going to permanently set in place? What are you going to permanently set in place? It will be a kingdom priority. What I used to do when I was at work, I, used to, I love to-do lists, right? And when I look at my to-do list, you think, oh, I've got to start crunching that. Where do I start? I used to write a box every single day which says, read and pray. And my commitment in my workplace was not to make a phone call, not to check the computer, not to open until I had read and prayed. Until I ticked that box, I'm not doing another thing on my to-do list. Do you have a kingdom priority? Do you seek God first? What can you permanently put in place? Make, I'm making a commitment today, God. I will seek you first. And what do we need to cut off? What are the things that we need to cut off? What, what could we say for the sake of the kingdom? I'm going to stop doing that. No more. What would be cut off to make the kingdom a priority? And I've told you guys this before, but, but Carolyn and I have talked to our kids. And one of the ways as a family that we make a priority of church, seeking first the kingdom, is that we say, well, birthday parties on Sunday morning, we're not going to go. Kids' birthday parties on Sunday morning, we're not going to go. And you might think, I'm a terrible parent. And maybe I am, but here's the thing. As a, as a family, we've said, we're going to seek the kingdom first. What does that look like to put Jesus first? Well, he's first until what? Until a higher priority comes along and trumps it. So I want to say to my kids, kids, we seek the kingdom first. We're going to put God first. And here's the thing. As soon as church is over, we'll run you to the party wherever it is. Okay? And we are not punishing you. So if you miss out a party, we'll make a play that will work it out. We're not punishing you. We're prioritizing the kingdom. What does it look like for you in your life stage to seek first the kingdom? To really seek it first. Not just when it's convenient but to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. <laughs> you know, it was hard back in the first century. Do you want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12. Well, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Church, I want you to think really carefully this morning about following Jesus. There is only one place to find eternal life. The world will offer you a whole lot of bread. <laughs> it really will. And it'll be made from a French patisserie. But it'll rot just the same. There's only one person who offers us eternal life. And so this morning, church, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you and he's asking you, will you make kingdom choices? Will you make kingdom choices? See, next year is all about growing and maturing apprentices because I want you to take up a Jesus apprenticeship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there is such a sense that I'm, I'm talking to the converted today. You're here. I'm so thankful, church, that you're here. Father, I pray not only that we'll be setting aside this time on a Sunday, but that we might know what it is to feed on you, to drink deeply of you, to walk with you, to know your empowering presence with us, your Holy Spirit, that we might love you and know you and follow you and prioritize you in every part of our lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.